Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I am Stephanie Hubka, the 2021 Vice President of Finance of the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. Hi, I'm Christina Eanes, the 2021 Director of Virtual Programs. And I'm Leticia Niago, our 2021 Vice President of Learning. We are also joined by Helena Hodges, our Director of Technology and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing an industry expert on plain language, the owner of eWrite, and a LinkedIn learning instructor of six writing courses, Leslie Oflehaven. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Thanks for inviting me. We are so thrilled that you are here today. This is a topic that I think is going to be of special interest to our listeners, if for no other reason than it's one that really doesn't get enough airtime. But I'm getting ahead of myself already because I'm so excited about this one. Before we jump into today's topic, which is plain language in action, tips for talent development professionals, we would love it if you would share a little bit about yourself with all of our listeners. Well, that would be my pleasure. My name is Leslie Oflehaven, as you said. My company is called eWrite. That's E hyphen W R I T E. And I mentioned the hyphen because when there's a hyphen after the E, you know I formed the company back in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Our mission is to help people learn to write well at work. And you're right, the the need for learning activities that help people learn to write well at work will never subside because our writing responsibilities keep changing at work. I believe good writers are made, not born. I don't think that writing is a knack like the knack of being able to sing on key. I believe in the power of learning and have dedicated my career to helping people do something difficult better. You are already speaking my language. I absolutely love what you say, especially when it comes to the idea that it is possible to learn to write well. And, you know, certainly an art just as much of a, as it is a science in some ways. So mm-hmm. I am thrilled we have a chance to get to talk about today's topic and kind of to get people into it, to to kind of kick things off, I would love it if you could share with us your thoughts on what is plain language? Thanks for asking that question, because plain language is a beautiful communication philosophy that's burdened by the word plain. Uh, you know, plain language is sometimes uh, people think it's dumbed down language or dull language, and that's not it at all. So plain language is a communication philosophy that's, you know, almost 40, 45, 50 years old. And it has uh, taken hold in the federal government in 2010, when at long last, the Plain Writing Act was finally passed by Congress. In, in the workplace, in, econo- I mean, in engineering, in law, in academia, plain language has a strong presence also. In a nutshell, plain language means that readers are entitled to understand what writers write. And the measure of merit and usefulness 
of a written thing of content is in whether readers can understand it and act upon it. That's plain language in a nutshell. Some of the habits of plain language writing uh, are the ones that earned the word plain, such as don't drown your reader in marketing jargon and don't use complex technical terms if you're not utterly sure your reader can understand them. But the philosophy is very simple and very, very beautiful. And that is your reader is entitled to understand what you write. The writer does the work so the reader won't have to do the work. And that readers the measure of plainness in plain language is whether readers are able to understand and act upon what they read. I love how you phrase that. And I love that you use the word beautiful. It really does sound that way. And to me, it really sounds very empowering for all involved. It's empowering for the person who is learning something because it ensures that they're really going to be able to get from the writing what they need, you know, to be able to ensure that they understand it and then perhaps can do something with it. But the same is true for the writer. And I really like the idea that it it really enables a writer to be able to think about how their message might be communicated in perhaps a very different way. You know, taking some of that flowery language out, which I think so many of us might even feel inclined or even in a lot of cases, I think it has been recommended that you try to make yourself sound very smart by using these very big words. And it sounds like plain writing really pulls some of that back to ensure that the message doesn't get lost. Is that right? Yes, that's absolutely true. And the the word power, we've both used the word power yeah. in our conversation <laughs> already. When, when you think about government writing in plain language, the community believes this slogan, plain language is a civil right. My community believes that slogan about government writing, meaning citizens are entitled to understand the communications their government provides without extraordinary effort. But some of your comments about, you know, the, the times in our life as writers when we're encouraged to use flowery terms to write to impress versus what I'm talking about. The plain language philosophy is that we write to enable readers to use what we've written to act. This shift is a common shift people make when they stop writing in an academic setting like college and they start writing in a workplace setting because in all ways, uh, writing for a professor a single individual who will always know more than you know and who's, uh, who's, who you're trying to impress mm-hmm. that is distinct from writing in the workplace to people for people who may know less than you know about a topic, even if they're higher on the org chart than you are, and who don't want to be impressed by you. They want to be enabled to do something. Can you, can you imagine... If you wrote software documentation and tried to impress your reader, that would be ridiculous. You want to help your that reader be, be terrible. <laughs> use the software, right? <laughs> so part of the struggle that most people experience at work is they spent many years developing writing habits that were shaped by academia, and they have to unlearn a lot of what they learned 
to succeed as a workplace writer. Yeah, that's really what it sounds like. It's kind of walking back some of what might have worked very well in an academic setting or frankly, even a creative writing setting and really bringing it back to the people that matter, which, you know, for many of us as talent development professionals are our learners. Mm. And this kind of gets me thinking too, I know we've been speaking quite a bit about writing, but is plain language best used for speaking as well? Is it really limited to writing or is it both? It's not limited to writing. No, it's again, um, how we carry out plain language principles differs a little bit about whether we're writing marketing copy or documentation or a proposal. The practices, the sentence level or paragraph level practices differ. But the philosophy, yes, it applies to communicating when you're speaking as well as when you're writing, which is the measure of whether you've succeeded in your communication is if your listener or your reader can understand and use what you communicated. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it really also gets me thinking, how can we tell if something we are creating or reviewing is written in plain language. And what I'm thinking about are the talent development practitioners who are out there who want to write something in plain language, but maybe aren't quite sure how it should sound or what that check might be in order to make sure that it really is being effectively written in plain language. Are there common characteristics or practices that a talent development professional should either look for or incorporate when creating learning content? Well, I'm going to answer that in two parts because talent yeah. development professionals write curriculum yes. and they, you know when you're delivering it whether people are understanding it. So in some ways, they're luckier than many other types of professionals many, many other types of professionals. So for their curriculum writing, they will know when they deliver the curriculum, whether people were able to understand it. Did they care about the course content? Could they act on it? Could they follow the instructions in a small group practice? They will yeah. be able to understand. But talent and development professionals also write business emails and yes. proposals and reports and all all kinds of other products. So the the the, the bluntest and, and most um, exquisite measure of whether you've written in plain language is whether your reader did what you asked, suggested, or requested. So yeah. if you think about a business email, if you send a colleague a business email where you ask them to give you feedback on a project plan, and they give you feedback on a project plan, then you can say to yourself, well, my subject line must have been clear. My request was clear. And I broke this down into small enough sections that uh, my colleague was able to do what I asked and do it in a prompt fashion. So we, we study the reader's behavior when there is a behavioral measure of whether we've written in plain language. We can also gather readers' opinions. So if you're, uh, say, you're a public health communicator and you're trying to write a campaign on smoking cessation and you're writing a series of, of emails about quitting smoking, you might survey the people you have sent these communications to to ask them whether they found it convincing. But action is the best measure of all. 
That makes a lot of sense to me. And in fact, I'm also thinking for many of us who work, especially in front of the room or virtual training facilitation, for example, you're right in that the feedback on whether or not you're using plain language can be pretty immediate. You just have to look and see whether or not people seem to be nodding or smiling or if they look confused. But I think that some of what you're sharing, especially about what you know, is almost that asynchronous component would apply really nicely to any of us who work in e-learning. And I'm thinking there, by the time you get into feedback, and especially through evaluations, it's a little late to go back and adjust appropriately. And that's where it seems to me like some of these tips really come into practice, because it gives you a chance to really make these considerations in advance and understand how plain language can really impact what you're putting forth as far as, say, in an e-learning course or something else that could be a little tricky to edit on the back end if you wait too long to think through (laughs) how you might be able to incorporate it. Absolutely. By their profession, training and development professionals are predisposed to do uh, user analysis or learner analysis, and other professions are not. So I think there's a better chance that what a training and development professional would create in an e-learning course or in in another uh, training collateral would be written in plain language because you've thought about the learner's needs that's explicit in our profession and it's not explicit in all professions. And of course, there are a whole set of writing behaviors. I, you know, I'm thinking about if anybody in my, any of my, my, colleagues in the plain language practitioner community listen to this. They're like, when is Leslie going to talk about active voice? You know? <laughs> so oh, yes, of course. <laughs> it's not all philosophy. It's, it, there's some very, very practical and uh, predictably successful writing behaviors, you know, write concisely, write an active voice whenever you can, uh, lose the jargon, or be absolutely sure your reader understands the jargon if you use it. Absolutely. And, you know, it'd be fun to to get a little more into that. Although there's one question that I want to ask you about also, because I realize for many people who are listening today, this may be one of the first times that they're really thinking through what some of this might mean to them. And, you know, especially how they might be able to understand or incorporate plain language into the work that they do. There may be workplaces that really aren't using plain language appropriately or maybe really downplaying it entirely. How might someone become an advocate for plain language in their workplace? I'm curious if you have any recommendations for how we might be able to approach this or to coach our colleagues to help them to adopt plain language in their writing. Well, you're speaking the truth here because there are lots of organizations that favor stink language and they favor blowhard language and they favor windbag language. Yes, this is very, very true. So there are a few steps to advocating for plain language. One is knowing that there's a name for this communication philosophy can really help Mm. because when you advocate, you don't have to uh, own this communication approach as your opinion because um, when when we talk about writing well, 
There's a lot of people beating each other over the head with opinions, and some of them are well-informed and some of them are not. You know, never begin a sentence with the word because. Somebody's boss is going to say that to somebody. That's just stone wrong. It's fine to begin a sentence with the word because. (laughs) But And it goes from there, you know, um, don't use headings because they make your content look like your your print content look like web content. That's also wrong. So the first thing you want to know is if you want to advocate for plain language principles, then you want to put yourself in the community and you want to use some of the same tools that plain language practitioners use, such as measuring readability, such as uh, interviewing readers so you know what they need or documenting their behavior Uh, their response to something you've written so that you can say, I'm not asking us to make these changes because I like them. I'm asking us to make these changes because we got 17 phone calls to our front desk when we sent out this email. (laughs) So the first thing is know that you're in a community of plain language practitioners and you are definitely not alone. And the second thing is to always talk about how the changes you would like to make will make the readers work less. It will, it will help the readers understand. And then the third thing is to be brave about testing your information because sadly, <laughs> testing your writing is really inexpensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> never costly to try two versions of a thing. You know, even yeah. if you're trying the uh, plain language, you're showing the plain language version as a draft and the fancy language version as a draft to one reader, to one actual intended reader. It's usually easy enough to do. So, so uh, don't, you know, don't be like the stags in the movie Bambi who just bash their antlers against each other incessantly. <laughs> Show a reader the plain language version and see how they respond. I really like that as an idea. Even workshopping it with colleagues can be an effective way to either get feedback or, you know, frankly, sometimes make a point and demonstrate that one version is easier to comprehend than another version. Sometimes that is all you need if you're starting to make that case in the workplace. I think that that makes great sense and yes. love the Bambi analogy. <laughs> yes. Actually, just to build on one other point that I made, yeah. it's wonderful to have an exemplar of yeah. the fancy language version and the plain language version and apples to apples comparison you can make. Because as I said earlier, people do gas on with their opinions about what's correct in writing and what works in writing. And often their opinions are not informed by readers' behavior. They're just opinions. It's a professor from college or somebody's aunt's dentist, receptionist or something, they have a strong opinion. So when you want to advocate for writing a particular document or email in a different way, have a, a before and after version that you can show. It's much more productive to talk about an actual sample than it is to talk about what you believe about how writing works. That is some fantastic advice. I'm curious too, and kind of circling back a little bit, you had shared a couple of tips 
um, using an active voice and writing concisely. Are there other practical tips or ideas that you'd love to share as far as how we can communicate more effectively using plain language? Yes, indeed. Um, I think we want to, I'll share three. The first is incorporate the reader's questions into the content and use the reader's uh, diction when you phrase the questions. So, so it's kind of like exploiting the FAQ structure in other types of writing. Uh, So if someone wants to know, how do I change my beneficiary for this insurance, this life insurance policy, use that question. How do I change my beneficiary? So that's one thing, one tip. The other tip is to put your main message at the beginning of almost everything you write. This is not uh, a good tip for writing curriculum because Often learning unfolds and the main learning may be uh, sequenced after some much smaller learnings. But in the other types of business writing, we do put your main message at the beginning. If you're writing an email where you describe a problem and offer a solution, at least consider starting with the solution before the problem. Uh, And the third tip is when you're editing for conciseness, which everyone loves, everyone says, I I want my writing to be concise. It's like Mm -hmm. all brides say, I want my wedding to be simple and elegant. You know, everyone (laughs) says, I want my wedding to be, I meant my writing to be concise. Yeah. But being concise means editing for both relevance and brevity. Relevance means does this information belong in the document? Do I need this sentence or this paragraph at all? And brevity means have I used as few words as possible? You have to do both because it's it's certainly possible in this world where we um, reuse portions of documents from one uh, product to another to include something that's quite brief but irrelevant. So first Absolutely. we judge, is this meaningful? Does this paragraph, sentence, bulleted list, chart belong here? Oh, yes, it does. Okay. Have I written it in as few words as I can? So those are my three tips. Those are fantastic tips. I know I jotted all three of those down. Those are some great guideposts to consider as you're incorporating plain language. And I'm wondering, too, as far as resources go, I know this is a topic that probably a lot of people are going to want to learn more about. Are there any templates or checklists or perhaps, you know, additional writing guidelines that you would recommend that might help talent development professionals as they're developing learning content in plain language? Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, we're here in the DC metro area. And so um, most of us know a friend of a friend or a friend who works in the federal <laughs> government. And the federal government agencies have been producing plain language checklists, guidance, uh, courses, free training for at least a decade and really about 20 years. So, and, and this is often copyright cleared. So if you need plain language guidance for your organization, you could start, for example, with the National uh, National Archives plain language checklist. They have a wonderful one. Maybe there's Department of Education plain language checklist or guidance. You can use those materials and reuse them for your own, most of them. So the first thing I would do is, you know, start that Googling or contact me and tell me what you're looking for. And I may be able to find something there 
that you uh, can use. The Center for Plain Language is a nonprofit organization that gives out uh, awards for excellence every year. And so you could look at those uh, award winners. There, there are probably, I think last year there were 17 clear mark award winners. So you would have some models there. They also give the WTF award, which doesn't stand for what you think it does. It stands for words that failed. <laughs> it's the, it's the Razzie. It's not, oh, you don't want to win it, but it stands no. for words that failed. And you could also look at those, uh, you know, the plain language community has, uh, many practitioners like me, um, I host uh, Plain Language Weekly on Clubhouse. You could join and ask your question any Friday at noon Eastern. There's really quite a lot to learn from and to learn for free. That is fantastic. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing some great ideas for resources. I have no doubt that many of us, myself included, are going to want to learn much more about this. Hmm. I hope so. <laughs> Yes. And Leslie, I have to share for people who speak more than one language. And in some cases, you know, we have to think in the other language and then quickly translate it in our heads and then include the cultural aspect in our communication before actually saying it out loud. I find your tips and recommendations not only relevant, but also actually applicable no matter what the language. So thank you so much for sharing these recommendations. That's absolutely wonderful to learn. And also, I want to let everyone know that uh, 35 years ago, we were calling this movement plain English, but it's not plain oh, English. Wow. It's plain language. The government has uh, uh, Spanish plain language resources, but the plain language community is international. And uh, we don't call it plain English anymore as well. We shouldn't have then, but we don't now. Oh, much more inclusive. Mm -hmm. Okay, Leslie, at the end of every episode, we like to ask our guest five rapid fire style questions. Each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? Reporting for duty. <laughs> I love it. Okay, give us one book that all TD professionals must read and why. You must read the memoir, My Beloved World, by Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. And the reason you must read this is because, uh, besides being a charming book, she had a childhood and a young adulthood that was, uh, where learning was not supported or facilitated by her family or her community. And she did what she had to do to be an a student and to rise through the ranks by herself. And I think we all in training and development need to remember how much guts and nerve it takes for some people to continue learning. And I think it's also meaningful to see a portrait of an autodidact because then we can understand what we should contribute and how we should recognize ambition and courage in our learners. Oh, I love that. That's a unique uh, and very awesome recommendation. I don't normally read bios, but I think I'm going to have to read this one. I love this book and oh. I love her. Oh, <laughs> okay. Give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. Well, this is a tired old tool 
that I've hated for years and we, we, had, we worked on our relationship and I'm, I'm using it now. And it's nothing fancier than a Microsoft Office grammar checker. I really dislike most of the advice it offers and the metrics it reports, but Microsoft Office grammar checker is a quick one-click way to find out what your average sentence length is and what percentage of your draft or your document is written in passive voice or active voice. And these are two meaningful measures, in my opinion, of how easy or difficult your writing will be to read. So if you run the grammar checker, you're going to get all the flesh Kincaid and fog gunning and gunning fog index, all the readability metrics. I don't subscribe to those, but how, how long are my sentences and how much of this is written in passive voice? That's useful to know. Oh, I definitely support that one. That's how I taught myself, uh, gosh, many years ago, how to switch from passive to more active language. Great. Yeah, great tool. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is the best piece of talent development related advice or career advice that you've ever been given? Well, I'm going back to my first career when I was a high school English teacher. And in spite of the fact that I earned a master's in education, the person who influenced me the most when I became a teacher was my own AP English teacher in high school. And when he, we, I visited with him and when he learned that I had become a teacher, he, he said to me something along the lines of the measure of your success in a particular lesson or in a particular classroom will be whether your learners, your students are speaking much more than you are. Mm. And, and I have been a teacher or a trainer, you know, my entire career. And this is something I strive for. And, and I mean the word strive. Sometimes I really have to work that if someone were to make an audio recording of the class, can I say that the learners talked way more than I did? Oh, I love that. Yeah. And that's why I like to call it uh, facilitation instead of teaching, <laughs> right? Because we're facilitating mm -hmm. the learning. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what is something you're excited about coming up in the next year? I want to get out of my stinking office. <laughs> I'm a social person and I am uh, really lonely for all of the stimulation that being with other people in person can offer. And I'm glad to say that I'm going on my first business trip on Monday and my second business trip about three weeks after that. And I just want to be back with people. Again. Oh, man, we are so aligned. <laughs> I just spent the day in the classroom. We all had to wear masks, but I was like, I was annoying. I was so excited. <laughs> okay. Our final question here. What is one thing within our industry that you are deeply grateful for right now? Well, having just said that I want to be in person with people, I do want to um, appreciate what the switch to full switch to virtual learning has offered. And that is, I'm grateful for the repackaging of learning that the pandemic forced us to do because. I do see some obstacles to tra offering training programs have dropped away. You know, the obstacle of time, distance, travel expense, when that drops yeah. away, 
some companies really are offering more training to more people. So I'll try to find that glass half full <laughs> and and be grateful that I think a lot of learning did occur during these uh, many months when we've been apart. And I'm grateful for that. Oh, absolutely. Leslie, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today to talk about plain language. And as we wrap up, I want to circle back because where we started was with you talking about how there's real beauty in using plain language. And I really found the words and the way that you express that to be so beautiful and so inspirational today. So I'm so grateful that you had the time to chat with us and I really, I think you inspired a lot of people to go out and learn more and to incorporate plain language into the work that they do. Well, that's just wonderful. I hope so. And, um, you know, if you if you need a, a booster, come to me. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And of course, a big thank you to my co-host today as well. This was very insightful. Thank you, Leslie. Yes, I had fun. And of course, many thanks to all of you in our community for listening today. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Membership in the Metro DCATD provides you with multiple benefits to enhance your career. Not a member yet? What are you waiting for? Go to dcatd.org forward slash membership application to join our chapter today. Check out dcatd.org for upcoming chapter events, learning programs, member benefits, and so much more.